You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't visited one of their thousands upon thousands of retail locations in the United States, or you haven't gone to their website, interstatebatteries.com, you need to check them out. They have a battery for almost everything, and that includes your truck, that includes your trail cameras, your range finders, anything really that you use on the hunting side of things that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries can provide that to you. So go visit interstatebatteries.com or visit one of their thousands and thousands of retail locations all over the U.S. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. got to have good friends that'll hunt the north fork with you because you know <laughs> we're about six to seven to one for every grizzly you see you'll see one black bear and you know there's several groups out there that are that are putting money into to wildlife research and and some of them are uh you know faking the funk when it comes to being conservation conservation organizations but you were bear hunters that that started this organization to ensure a future for bears and bear hunting, you have to ensure a future for bears first and foremost. We know that the hunters are going to be the ones that foot the bill for wildlife management. And I, I think a lot of people want to make sure that stays that way too. And that's what scares me when I hear some of the, the outdoor industry leaders starting to talk about backpack taxes. What do you tell uh, a, a group of bear hunters back east here? Uh, what do they need need to do to make sure that they have a legitimate voice when when decisions about bear management, bear hunting, are being made? Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast, everybody. We have got uh, Steve on the line coming at us from hot and muggy Florida. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Chris. Good morning, America. You should... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, we normally do record these in the morning, but due That's to work right. schedules and our guests today, uh, we switched it up and we're actually recording this one in the evening. So we're looking at some 70s moving in here by the end of the week. I'm pretty excited about that for daytime eyes and I know your weather down there is the same as it always is, hot and muggy. Oh, yeah. It's always like uh, opening the oven door and checking the pizza, you know, is kind of like what it's like walking outdoors here. But, man, we are hopeful it's going to get cooler 
every every day. Uh, it, we're looking forward to that. And if uh, if it's true to form, uh, this is August, about last of October, first of November. <laughs> we'll so, start having some cool weather. So when you get cooler weather down there, though, that means it's getting cooler up north. So your population of Yankees goes up at that time? Uh, yeah, about late November is where the migration starts down Interstate <laughs> 95 and 75. And and the snowbirds uh, come in for a landing. And they'll be here until about mid-April. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's when we get out the bumper stickers that say we don't care how you do it up north and we put those <laughs> on our trucks and <laughs> uh, seriously we we have uh, i have a lot of friends that come down and and i'm envious they're living the best of both worlds but at any rate yeah it but this is a time of year when uh we just kind of hunker down in the air conditioning uh watch a lot of uh, hunting and fishing videos and uh, wait for cooler weather no doubt no doubt everybody's waiting for that i think well steve we've got a we've got a uh, a great guest for tonight's show that's for sure um we'll kind of introduce our guest here but we've got joe condellis of the western bear foundation and uh i kind of started following joe and the western bear foundation i can't remember how long ago it was but uh it really interested me the work he's doing out there uh in the wyoming area and in the western united states for for not only hunting black bears but also uh conflict mitigation with black bears and some of the conservation work they're doing so without further ado joe condellis how are you tonight Doing well, guys. Doing well. Thank you guys for having having me on tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, Joe, um, I mentioned a couple things there, but you're from you're from Cody. Have you lived in Cody your whole life? Yeah, no, I uh, I live in Cody now. Um, uh, my my wife and I moved down here in 2005, um, kind of for work. Uh, but I was born and raised in Southwest Montana in a town called Butte, and. Uh, was born and raised there, went to college in Butte, and then uh, kind of uh, work in business uh, and then do this on the side. And um, it's actually become a, a lot more work than I anticipated when we started the organization, but I love it because it, it lets me do a lot uh, of things that are really my passion, which is conservation, wildlife, and, and hunting and fishing. And, and um, so it allows me to do some stuff in, in that space, uh, and still do a, uh, work for a really cool company in my, in my career. So yeah, that's what kind of my history, uh, like I said, moved down here in, um, 2005 and we, we love it down here in Cody. It's just been, it's just been an awesome place to live. Um, very small community. Um, not a lot of people here. The mountains are right out my back door. So it, uh, it makes it pretty nice. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I've Steve, been to Steve. Cody, uh, and I think uh, Joe and I visited a little bit earlier about that. And man, there's a lot of things to see and do with the museums you have there, the Buffalo Bill uh, Museum and the, the Gun Museum, and I don't, it's just a a really neat town. And of course, I 
uh, always like to seek out the fly shops when I go out west. And uh, <laughs> man, I, I've had a, a lot of fun. I uh, the first time I went out to Wyoming, I flew into Warland, uh, took a, a stump jumper out of Denver up there. But the second time I flew right into Cody and and from Salt Lake and across the mountains there. And man, what a view! I'm, I'm yeah, sure you've done that. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate out here. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty fortunate out here to live where we do. We're, uh, you know, I'm 50 miles away from Yellowstone National Park. Uh, I got one of the biggest wildernesses in the lower 48 right out my back door. Uh, a very small population uh, in Wyoming, so it makes it really nice. That means the woods are, are often uh, pretty uh, pretty quiet, and there's not a lot of folks out there. So when you can get out in the mountains and spend some time, you you actually get to go experience it and and kind of appreciate it for what it is and you're not fighting people and and you know the summer's tough we have a lot of tourism in cody um because of the park and the museum as you mentioned is a huge draw for us but great place to raise a family i i absolutely love wyoming i do miss southwest montana but it's only four hours away for me so i get to go back a lot and and being part of the foundation gets me all over the place now so i get to see a lot of cool places yeah, that's a, that's an awesome area. Do you hunt the North Fork there? Yeah, I do a lot of deer hunting up the North Fork, and I do some bear hunting up the North Fork, actually, which is you, you got to have good friends that will hunt the North Fork with you because, you know, <laughs> we're about six to seven to one for every grizzly you see. You'll see one black bear, and, and some of those grizzlies you see can be in some pretty uh, tight confines. So um i got a couple guys that'll go with me up there i think a lot of people think i'm crazy but we do a lot of bear hunting up there and a lot of deer hunting up the north fork in that late migration that happens out of the park uh in late october early november so spend a lot of time in that country in sunlight basin as well as the bighorn mountain range which is just kind of east of me here yeah it's a, it's a wonderland for sure chris have you been out there yeah i've been to cody i love it yeah. love cody it's a uh... We went to the rodeo there and and uh, kind of did a tour up through that country, um, but went out to uh, Jackson Hole and Yellowstone. It was, it was when I was a kid. It's been several years, but it's definitely one of my places that I plan to return to. Yeah, we got to get you back here, Chris. Jeez. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, uh, <laughs> Joe, I remember my drive over from Cody over to going to Warland. I drove over to, what is that, Graybull? Graybull, uh, Wyoming, yep. Yeah, and you go through a town, if I'm correct, is it, there? it's population 10. Is that like Emblem. Supply? Emblem, yeah. Yeah, you got a good memory. Yeah, Emblem. It's got a population post office. Population 10. <laughs> I, I think it. we might have got a little bit more in there. I'm not sure. I'll have to look. I drive by that a lot. I'll have to look at that sign. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I fished all over that and up in the Bighorns up there and uh, uh, Norwood Creek and and uh, oh, oh Norwood, yep, Norwood, yeah, paint paint rock. I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Beautiful uh, down there, and a beautiful little canyon up there. We call Deep creek canyon i think uh i don't know if you're familiar with that but it's on private land but giving away all the good spots here uh well i tell you you sound like you're from here you could pass as a local (laughs) well you got all the names down yeah well tin sleep was one i remember very well uh you know what that is chris i have no idea 
It was like from Montana somewhere. Joe, you could help me. It's like ten. Yeah, sleeps. it was. It, it, it was, was north up towards, um, uh, and I couldn't, I, I might get this wrong. There's a sign in town. I, I should memorize it, but it was 10 sleeps from that location. It was an Indian encampment, um, Native American encampment right. in 10 sleep Wyoming. And, and to travel north, I believe up towards Montana to another encampment they had was 10 sleeps or they were 10 sleeps from somewhere when they were at that location. So yeah. they called it 10 sleep Wyoming. <laughs> That's pretty pragmatic right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much more down to earth than that. It takes well, me you ten know, sleeps to get here. Well, Joe, I'm kind of a geography nut. I can occupy myself for hours with a road atlas. So I kind of uh-huh. like. To, I, I'm just fascinated by the country that I that I see, and I tend to remember those places. But anyway, suffice to say, you live in an awesome part of the world for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Well, let's talk about what we're uh, what we're here to talk about, and that's the Western Bear Foundation. Uh, we actually are a, a sponsor of the Western Bear Foundation, and and I did we did that because you know we believe in what you're doing out there, Joe, and um, you're not only an advocate for hunting, but let's talk a little bit about what the Western Bear Foundation is, and and. Uh, Let's get a little backstory on that for our listeners. How'd that all come about? Yeah, you know, it was kind of an interesting story, and to keep it kind of short and sweet and to the point, it was myself and a really good friend of mine I grew up with, we kind of started getting into bear hunting a little bit when we were in high school. We grew up deer and elk hunting and, you know, hunting timber and ridges and stuff and didn't have a clue about bear hunting. And it was a long journey for us to try and understand what we were doing. And, And through that process, I think I just really became obsessed with the, gaining more knowledge on bears. Um, and, and at that time, which wasn't that long ago, I'm 39. This was, would have been when I was in high school. So the, the mid nineties, um, not a lot of information out there. Uh, you know, social media wasn't there. There wasn't a lot of internet. There was internet, but there wasn't the forums and the ways to find information. So it was really hard for us. So I kind of just became obsessed with bears and, and, and not just hunting them, but like, trying to learn more about them so I could be a more successful hunter when it came to bear hunting. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, through the years, uh, kind of got some success and got kind of lucky a few times and, and, uh, actually moved down here and was just kind of like trying to find my way down here as far as like learning the country and, and kind of learning some of the hunt areas. And I, I knew you could bait bears down here. So I was trying to kind of figure out how I could go about doing that. Cause I grew up spot and stock hunting only. And I just kind of started realizing that, there was not a lot of information out there for bear hunters, um, especially when it came to like learning how to bait. A lot of bear hunters are pretty quiet about their secrets, and I don't blame them. Um, and and it, the other thing that really caught my attention was um, how many grizzly bears that we were dealing with in, in Wyoming and, and southwest Montana, and you know, kind of how much focus was on the grizzly bear and how little focus was on black bears. You know, we didn't have a yeah. count in Wyoming of the actual amount of black bears, but you know, I was joke. I said, if a grizzly bear takes a crap from here to West Yellowstone, they know about it, but we yeah. can't tell you how many black bears we have in the state. And, and Wyoming actually has a pretty interesting way of doing things. They run everything on a quota here in Wyoming. So mm-hmm. we have a female mortality quota here. So when that quota is filled, the season closes down. And, and part of that is because it's a, it's a fail safe because they don't really know the population. So they figure through harvest data and everything you can, 
these bear management units can can maintain that kind of threshold of of um harvest and so all that kind of was working in my head and i'm like gosh i just really think it'd be cool if there was an organization out there that was focused on bears and and out there for bear hunters and you know we i just finally got to the point where it was burning so much in my head and in my heart that i had to do it and so we went through the process of trying to figure out how to set up a 501c3 and get uh, IRS on board and everything and not easy to do but uh, nonetheless we got it done in about 2008 I think we became um, federally federally registered as an I uh, 501c3 and then um, we were we were called actually the Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters Association mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of working under that moniker for a few years, and then more recently, we've changed our name um, to the Western Bear Foundation, which is a little bit more, it broadens our scope a little bit. We were kind of more specific to the area around Yellowstone Park and hunting only, and we wanted to do so much more. Um, hunting is a very main part of why we founded the foundation is to ensure a future for bear hunting, but we also knew that in order to do that, we had to do a lot of stuff on the ground with research and conflict mitigation and working with the state and federal agencies to understand how we're managing our our uh, black bears and grizzly bears in the three states and and one of our major platforms of founding was to delist the grizzly bear uh in the greater yellowstone ecosystem and the northern continental divide ecosystem and and put that management into state hands which would eventually lead to some sustainable hunting seasons for the grizzly bear so that was uh kind of why we did what we did um and it's been a, it's been at times a very long road for me. I'm impatient. I like to, I see our future and I want it to be tomorrow, but right. you know, these things are a slow roll and uh, we've grown very organically, but we've grown a lot and we're doing a lot of stuff on the ground, which is the most important to us. Like if, if, if not everyone knows who we are, I guess it doesn't matter as long as we're keeping with our mission and we're doing what we set out to do. And, and that's to, you know, uh, ensure a future for bears and bear hunting. Well, you've uh, you've covered a lot of territory right there in that brief statement. So we're going to backtrack a little bit and kind of yeah. pick that apart a little bit. Um, so you and you and a buddy, yep, decided that that you needed a an advocacy group for black bears. You know, there's several groups out there that are that are putting money into to wildlife research, and and some of them are. Uh, you know, faking the funk when it comes to being conservation conservation organizations, but you were bear hunters that that started this organization. Is, is am I picking that up right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we came from the the most honest of places when we did this. We didn't have the, the really cool thing that we set up when we did this was no paid employees. We're all volunteers, and that way, when we set this up and we set that. It was to ensure that anyone involved in this organization was doing it for the bears and for bear hunters and not for personal gain. And so we were true just conservationists at heart and wanting to be conservationists and wanting to do more. And I think when you look at some of the great things that have been done with groups like RMEF and Mule Deer Foundation and and Wild Sheep and, and how they've been able to really you know, ensure that there's a a focus for a certain ungulate on the landscape and that there's people watching that, you know, we wanted that for black bears because we saw nothing out there that was happening. You know, people weren't looking out for black bears, best interest, you know, 
in some of the agencies, the state agencies, there might be a biologist that was really passionate about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it came down to funding or time or, you know, what's a bigger project that the state wants to do. So we wanted to make sure we were holding people's feet to the fire and say, hey, we have a great species here. It's one of the most iconic in North America, one of the most prolific species in North America. They're almost in every state. And, right. and we do nothing. We just treat them like they're uh, they're an acceptable animal on the landscape, and that's fine. And if we don't really care, and I mean, in, in Wyoming and in Montana, and until not too long ago, you got a bear tag with your elk license, and right. they were just considered a predator that you could harvest and didn't have to do anything. And so, there, we're trying to just you know catch the bear management up to the level of uh deer and elk and wild sheep and moose management i think you know it is part of the reason we started this well i think that's pretty much the case across the board you know back east i don't know um of of any state organization or state state management agency that that is really putting a lot of work into to black bears sure they they keep track of you know, how many garbage cans they raid and, and things like that. But as far as uh, having any real data to know what they have, you know, it's it's kind of up in the air right now. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, Steve and I discussed it and we wanted to have you on was when I look at your Facebook page or your Instagram page or some of the articles that you publish, uh, some of the things that are written in uh, uh, publications about the Western Bear Foundation, you guys are doing more than just saying, hey, we're bear hunters. We want bears on the landscape. We are, we are conservation minded. We want to help be part of this, the solution here for, for uh, conflict mitigation and talk a little bit about, about some of the work that the Western bear foundation is, is doing to assist state agencies. Cause I know from being in working for a DNR for 28 years, if a sporting group is willing to jump in and, and take ownership of the resource according to the North American model for wildlife conservation and play an active role. These state agencies more than likely will welcome you with open arms. So what kind of things are you guys doing out there that, that maybe somebody sitting back East here can, can listen. They might hear this podcast and say, Hey, you know, we might be able to do, do something like that here. Yeah, and it was a big part of our transition from being just kind of hunting focused. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of things that we're keeping our eye on and, and working on on the hunting side of things. But, you know, to be more effective and, and, and actually to ensure a future for bears and bear hunting, you have to ensure a future for bears first and foremost. And, and part, of that is in, part of that involves keeping bears on the landscape. And how do we do that? You know, and, and part of that is conflict mitigation. Um, reducing the amount of management actions involving black bears or grizzly bears so that they are not removed by the state and federal agencies and they're left on the landscape for all users, whether it's a sportsman or a photographer or a hiker. Um, and we learned that kind of early on and, and how we kind of got to that point, which is is something that we could offer was a point of, we could be a liaison early on when we had no money. We, we could act as liaison. So we would reach out to the state agencies and say, what are you guys seeing? What do you need from the bear hunting uh, community? What do you need from people that are passionate about bears? And they said, well, we need someone that's willing to be a voice. You know, we have season setting meetings and we have all these meetings concerning black bears and no one shows up or, Hey, you know, right now, a bunch of anti hunting groups are spending money on projects 
to reduce conflict and there's no hunting organizations doing that. And so we worked as an in-between kind of like, Hey, sportsmen want this state agencies are saying, man, if you did this. And so just like you said, most of the state agencies were like, Hey, if you're willing to do that, we're on board. And so what we started doing early on was some conflict mitigation stuff, which, um, the first project we ever did was a landfill fence and we couldn't afford the money to pay for the fence. So we provided labor and we went and put an electric fence around the landfill that was getting used by grizzly bears outside of Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started there and we built a relationship with the Wyoming game and fish large carnivore team, which that relationship now is as, as good as it's ever been. And we work really close together. So it was building that relationship and doing the same thing in Montana, starting, starting very small, with a certain uh, working with Wesley up on the Rocky Mountain front in Montana, just reaching out to him and saying, Wesley, we want to be more involved. We want to help uh, help with conflict mitigation. We want to help with education awareness. What can we do? And he's like, Hey, we have a really small project on a fence. Um, it's it's a chicken coop. Can you guys help out with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we were just outreach. You know, really reaching out to all these people in Idaho and Montana, and so what we've done the most of with conflict mitigation are those, those fencing projects that keep bears out of, um, agriculture, uh, livestock and even human safety, you know, garbage cans and stuff like that. We just mm-hmm. this year purchased some, uh, bear proof, uh, garbage cans for up in Valier, Montana, because of the town is, is having so much of the grizzly bears coming in off the Rocky mountain front. And it's actually become a safety issue. So we had to purchase, um, some special garbage cans because believe it or not, the, the, um, the people that pick up the garbage that are paid to do that can't leave their truck. It, it's a safety that their, their company put in a policy. They can't even get out of their vehicle. <laughs> so we had to purchase huh. some special garbage cans to allow them to pick those up without getting out of their vehicle. So we do a lot of that. We've been doing bear proof storage containers on some of the Wyoming state owned land that the Wyoming game and fish owns like some campgrounds and stuff. We've been putting funding the placement of, you know, bear uh, proof storage containers for campers and, and kind of just doing a lot of that conflict mitigation stuff, bear spray giveaways. We do bear spray giveaways. We just got done with a $10,000 bear spray giveaway in Idaho. We gave away about 10,000 cans worth $10,000 worth of bear spray in Idaho on three different occasions. And so, that gives people a little more education. Maybe that, that Idaho, uh, Eastern Idaho is an area that's getting more and more black grizzly bear problems and people aren't kind of maybe up to speed. So they came out and got some bear spray. They got some education on living and, and, and recreating in grizzly bear territory and country and how to be safe and how to do that safely. And so just trying to ensure that they're safe out there and, and maybe keep a bear or two from getting killed because, you know, we get a lot of flack for this. People are like, why do you care if the grizzly bears uh, aren't getting killed through management? Well, the only way we're going to delist them is if we maintain current numbers. So we don't want to see any be killed uh, if they don't have to, because that's just one less bear we have when it comes time to delisting them and then maybe getting hunting season. So, you know, a lot of that stuff has happened. Well, I want to jump in. I want to jump in right there. So what you're saying is... Mm-hmm is that when a bear becomes a problem bear, yep. we're not allowed to hunt it, but the nope. state is killing the bear. Yeah, yeah, and last In year it was cases. over 40. Yeah, last year we killed over, between Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, and, and Yellowstone National Park, killed over 40 grizzly bears through management actions. And that was 40 bears that were problem bears, and they needed to be removed because it was either a human safety issue, 
it was a depredation issue with livestock or or uh, property or it was an encounter with a human and, and those bears had become habituated to the point where they were no longer um deemed basically uh a bear that they could leave out on the landscape um and because that's they can teach their cubs that's learned behavior so it's hard to break that generations of learned behavior if a sow is teaching her cubs to be on a garbage and they don't nip that in the bud those cubs then become habituated to it and then they teach their cubs and so it it becomes learned behavior and we're trying to avoid that and so us doing some conflict mitigation stuff which is a drop in the bucket for what needs to be done helps kind of reduce some of that chance that we might have to remove a bear Um, and then hopefully one day when we can have a hunting season and we can get this bear delisted you know there's more bears available for us because the way they set up the hunting season, if we were to have one, and now it's all a moot point, right, because they, they put them back on the endangered species list, but all that was based off of a mortality quota. And so the less bears killed throughout the year meant more available for hunters. And so people give us grief with that. They're like, why are you protecting them? Well, I'm not protecting them. We want to ensure that there's enough bears out there so we can have a hunting season. And the more bears that are left on the quota – on the mortality quota, it means there's more bears available for sportsmen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that could be a whole podcast. Steve, you got something? We could go for two days on that oh one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, you know, the things that come to mind for me, Joe, as I listen to you there, and this is all excellent stuff and things that I think that the bear hunting groups out east could could certainly benefit from. How do you go about getting the word out to John Q public about all this good stuff that you're doing for bears? Because I know like out east here, you know, we've had a black bear population explosion. Uh, yeah. I grew up in the home of a bear hunter in West Virginia. Uh, you know, I you went know, bear hunting from the time I was just a little kid. And uh, I know when bears were fairly scarce. And I know through the efforts of, of the West Virginia Bear Hunters Association and yep. other groups in the, in the other surrounding states, there was a lot of effort done, a lot of the tooth studies and, and we do the, you know, the hair studies and all those things and change the seasons so that the sow bears weren't being killed before they had cubs and and so forth. And now the population has really exploded. And I can foresee the eastern bear hunter uh, the, the or the game departments in the east needing the kind of things that you're doing right now with grizzly bears a- and black bears, I assume. Mm-hmm. We're going to need those kind of programs out east. And I it's think really. Chris, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I yield to you. I'm, I'm interested. It's really kind of a challenge and one that I found with bear hunters and being one myself, I've, I've, I know a lot of old school bear hunters and guys that grew up doing it. And a lot of bear hunters and people that are passionate about bear hunting are fairly guarded. Um, and, and they, mm-hmm. I, I tell you what the biggest problem we're having now is, and I spoke with clay about this is when you have a resource that's not in harm's way, there is less work done to ensure that thing maintains that level. There you so go. So everyone, everyone is so happy with the black bear population now. And, and, and even in the Eastern seaboard and on the East coast, we're getting to the other way now where the bears are becoming a, 
uh, a point of we always call it they have to be socially acceptable they're they're reaching a, a level there and um what happens is there's so many of them and they're so well they're thriving and so people aren't worried about them you know right. what i'm saying exactly. like when exactly. the sheep were almost extinct or the elk and the moose and the bison and whenever there's a a, a species facing um facing uh, hardships then everyone jumps on board well, when we have a bear population that's booming, no one seems to care. And even bear hunters don't care. They're just like, what do we? What do you need to be around for? There's plenty of bears. It's like, yeah, I know, but... That, that's you know, what I wanted to hear from you, Joe. Yeah, not <laughs> my belief, Because I anyway. fear that. I fear that out here. I it's really complacency. Do. It's complacency. And well, well, on the, the eastern the, seaboard, is tricky because, you know, a lot of this stuff that we're doing for conflict mitigation has only really came about out here in the last 10 to 15 years. And it was built out of necessity. And most mm -hmm. of it was because of the grizzly bear. I see a lot of black bear conflict and it goes unheard because the, the guys on the ground, the, the, the biologists and the wardens on the ground, because they're not federally protected, it's their decision. So we're removing gobs of black bears through these, you know, management actions and no one hears about it because they're not federally protected. It doesn't have to be a, a news release. And so we're having those problems with black bears right now, but it's okay because everyone's like, we got a lot of black bears. Well, everything ebbs and flows. And so eventually we, those black bears can't sustain that, you know, we got to do more things and that's across this country to ensure that people are okay. They'll accept a black bear in their neighborhood um, because that's another thing that's bad for a species is social, uh, you know, people are, are hate them because they're a nuisance and that's mm -hmm. bad for the species. We don't want to see that either. So it's a long, hard process. And we've been trying to just, whether it's through our membership, email blast, social media, and, and, you know, just trying to do podcasts like this to tell people, you know, there's, there are things that are, that we're doing that might work for you, or maybe there's other groups doing things that we could use. So, that's about the best that I've come up with so far on how to get the word out. Well, one of the things that, that I've seen back here, um, it's not a problem until they become a problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We, the, the state agencies manage based on how big of a problem is the wildlife. You know, one of the biggest things that I know that Indiana looked at was, conflict you know social conflict between a farmer and a deer uh a mm -hmm. raccoon and a homeowner um and and you see the same thing down into tennessee i've got friends down there where they expanded the bear season to include archery time and and different things and that was all done because the the they'd been risen to a level of conflict and and as a houndsman you know i sit here and i think well that's awesome because I can go out and I can yeah. catch a bear anytime I want. So yep. what are some of the things that, that have you seen out West? Why does a bear move to town? Why does that happen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming more of a, uh, there's a lot of factors and, and the key holders to the whole, the whole like equation, in my opinion, are the relationship with the NGO, which would be us and the state agencies, because you know, for us, we can't just go place an electric fence on, on national forest. Now, what's an, NG what's an NGO, Joe? 
What's an NGO? It's a, a non-government organization, uh, you know, someone that's not a part of the government. And so in our case, that'd be us, right? Um, a, a non-profit, uh, non-government organization. Um, we can't do the things that the state agencies can do. So you have to work with them. And it's like, hey, we are here to help. We're having, we're, we're no, we just are dealing with this right now. We actually have a game warden that reached out to me and said, I'm having a lot of problems in this area with black bears. Can you guys help me out with some dumpsters and stuff? So that wouldn't happen five years ago because we weren't, we weren't built out to where we had those relationships yet. And so that's something on the East side and, and across the country that they can be doing, you know, reaching out to anyone. And then, you know, what's happening now with these bears is, part of the reason our grizzly bears are becoming such a problem is the buckets full, right? That whole buckets full mentality. So you're getting uh-huh. sprawl and they, so, the, so the population can only hold so many. The population's up. You've got a mature boar moving across the landscape out there. The juvenile boars yep. need to find new territory. So, Hey, Cody landfill Boom. smells pretty good. And that barbecue smells better. I'm yep, headed they're that in way. Town next. I mean, we had a grizzly bear in the city limits of Cody last year. Wow. <laughs> um, so they are pushing out because the bucket's full, you know, and, and then when that happens is they get into areas that they're not, you know, I don't care what anyone tells you. It might be their native landscape. It ain't going to be their landscape with the way we're living now. It, it just can't be. We'd have to move entire towns for grizzly bears to be on their native landscape. It's yeah. not going to happen. And the, the demographic monitoring area and the recovery area and where these bears are deemed socially acceptable and where they figure they can live and sustain they're moving outside of that and so now we have to deal with it and so same things happening with black bears as we get a higher abundance of black bears um you know the, the same goes man those dominant boars will sure. cruise they'll push those younglings out and those younglings will get into areas where they're and that's typically what we have with black bears or younger juvenile bears or older mm-hmm. um sick bears or bears that can't get the food it's not usually the the very healthy you know five and six year old boars or you know that 10 year old sow that's already raised a couple litters uh we see it with young bears and it's it's you know they get kicked out and they they don't really have the capacity or maybe the food source is not great that year we're seeing it this year in wyoming really bad because we had a really 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 late spring so when a lot of these bears came out there wasn't the food source available that they're used to so they were already kind of down on their weight 30 40 percent or whatever and they moved into areas where there's food and they're just opportunistic and and a lot of times food's down in these rural or these urban areas and so we, we just deal with it you know and it's it's something that's always going to be but as we start seeing more of it we as a society have to be better about okay yeah, it's nothing for me to leave my garbage in my house until the garbage man picks it up and then I put it out. And if that saves a bear's life, great. Right. Well, Joe, I'm about 30 miles north of Tampa, St. Pete, Florida, here on the Gulf Coast. Highway mm-hmm. 19 is a major artery that runs north and south. Five, I'm here on what they call the nature coast, right where the the tourist beaches and all end and the more scenic be, uh seacoast begins five miles north of me here on highway 19 which is a six lane uh north south artery there are signs be starting at about five mile intervals to watch out for bears here in florida Florida. yeah we don't have a season on bears in fact a couple of years ago we did have a quota hunt i think we were 
they wanted to kill a couple of hundred bears. They had a three-day season, I believe. I may have these numbers wrong, but something like 300 bears were killed, and they shut it down. Years ago, mm-hmm. there were two uh, counties, Baker and Columbia, in the northern part of the state where dog hunting for bears was permitted. And, of course, uh, it became an issue for animal rights. Okay, so we have bears running out our ears here in you Florida. You do down there. Yeah. So he, and we, uh, we have a, we have a member that just took a job as a bear management manager in Florida from, from Idaho. And she told me it's, it's, it's an uphill battle down there. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, hearing you speak about her when you were on the mm-hmm. uh, bear hunting magazine podcast with our, our friend Clay Newcomb. I, and yeah. I hope to meet her. I really do. But I guess here's my question, Joe. In the face of this kind of population explosion and so forth, what's being done maybe in some of the areas, other areas to open the door toward uh, having seasons on bear? You know, I know the anti-hunters are always going to be there uh, with the idea that no animals should be harvested. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the hunters are going to be the ones that foot the bill for wildlife management. What do we do down here to move forward? You know, or a, is anything being done in any other states that you know of that have closed seasons now? Is is there a crack in the door anywhere? You know what I've found in dealing with this? Because we're dealing with a lot of this in Colorado right now. And, and, and the, the, there's, there's one major thing that will determine whether or not it's a doable or not. And that is whether or not it's, it's, um, it's a state legislative rule or if it's commission rule mm-hmm. so i don't know if florida has a game and fish commission we do or we do okay and so those bear seasons should be managed and all wildlife management should come at a commission level not at a legislative level Correct. what happened in colorado with their spring bear season is they did it legislatively and so mm-hmm. to get that changed for a spring bear season in colorado which they have a whole host of issues bear problems um because they have no spring season um they have to do that legislatively now and and they're a fairly um blue state that doesn't have a lot of people that would probably push a bill like that and and so in florida if it's a commission rule that's a bunch of sportsmen getting together and talking to the commissioners and working with the commissioners and trying to get that done and then you always are going to have the anti-lawsuits and all that. But sure. if it's a commission rule, that can be done by the masses, like by us, by us sportsmen can work with our commissioners to do that. So that'd be one thing to find out in any area. Right. Um, I believe in New Jersey, that's a legislative thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a mess there, too. Well, but, we uh, went through that in Michigan being a referendum state. I lived there for 22 years. Okay. And yep. we fought that battle. And, of course, we were able to win it because we countered with what we call Prop G, uh, 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 a bill, I guess you would say, that would put the control of the wildlife resource in the hands of the experts in the DNR. That should happen right, everywhere. Right, right. So because they're I, the ones that know best. And, like, I, I look at it in Florida. You guys can hunt alligators, right? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think there. Yes, there are. There's yeah, a, so, I, mean, uh, uh, I think it's a, a draw system or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know why a black bear is so much more. I mean, an alligator is a danger and a threat if it's in your yard or whatever. And I, I look at it the same way it's going to happen with these black bears is there's more and more and not saying it's gonna. But as we get more and more, which Florida is exploding with them. There's just going to be more of an issue for human safety, and and what are they going to do? They're just going to pay the state agency to remove all these bears. And Correct. Sportsmen will do that and pay the state to do it. That's always been my argument in the years that I was with the kennel clubs and worked on these these uh, types of issues for many years, Joe. And it always puzzled me when I saw the situation in Oregon and Washington and all of that and. To see that, you know, the government is now having to do the job that hunters would willingly pay to do, you know, mm-hmm. the taxpayers are 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 paying for uh, these depred, uh, uh, depredation. Is that what is that the word? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. depredation. Yep. <laughs> it, it's late, fellas. I apologize that the words won't come, but but at any rate, that that's been the thing that's always been uh, maddening for me is that, you know, the hunter's dollars will pay for the management of the resource, keep it in, in, uh, uh, in check, uh, if you will. And, and yeah. And that's the uh, model that Wyoming and Montana and Idaho have used forever. You know, almost all the agency, the wildlife agencies in those three States are funded by hunters and fisher dollars. I mean, that's, that's, that's how they pay for, the sure. management of the resource and and that's why we always get in kind of a fussy battle with some of the people that want to have a stake in management but they don't hunt and they just take pictures and sell the pictures and make money well they're not paying for that resource to be managed we are and they and say a lot right. of hunters and, and everyone get get the first say and it's like because we're it's our money that's paying to be managing these animals you know precisely and that's that whole model and, and when you take out hunters out of an equation Everything has to be managed. We don't live in a perfect utopian society now where wildlife can live in and amongst uh, urban centers. It doesn't exist. So we have to manage wildlife. And it's not managing to a level of uh, extinction. It's managing them to levels of health where they can live with humans on the same landscape. True. Good stuff. That's a that's great but stuff. But that's a hard thing to do with, you know, because if any time that is done on the legislative issue level, then that becomes who we're voting in. And, and sadly enough, uh, I don't think we ever have enough of the sportsman-minded people that are, at least in some of the eastern part of the country. I know in Montana, I know in Wyoming, almost everyone that's probably in legislator legislation or that's a legislator or senator is probably a hunter or fisherman. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm just curious your opinion on this, Joe. You know, the first tenet of the North American model for wildlife conservation is that all wildlife will be held in a pu- in public trust. You know, mm-hmm. due to the due to the shift in uh our culture, is that still in your opinion, the best model? I think it is. Um, unfortunately, it's not a rule and it's not law. 
um, because we as sportsmen would have a lot more say in what happens with wildlife if it was a law. Um, it's a model, and you think, I, I do you think still so? believe. You really, you really I think, think that, so? Like if because, that was a rule, but a the, law. The, but the first tenet is it's a public trust. That means, you know, uh, your Starbucks crowd gets the same voice that you get. It's I've been, true. I've been, I've been kicking this around. I mean, these are the these are the demons that swim around in my head at night. Well, you know, when I, can't I go deal to sleep. with it a lot and, <laughs> and I'll probably get a lot of flack for this, but I don't care. I've never, I've never minced words, but I have this issue with people that photograph and, and they take pictures of the species and then they, they make money off it, but they're the same ones that say we can't hunt these animals. Um, that frustrates me, but if it, it, it in the, in the first tenant, they would be, it'd be as much their wildlife as it is my wildlife. Yeah, they're not paying um, so, so, so. But I think what they're Joe not, is but saying, but it is a public resource. Yeah, and I think what Joe may be saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Joe, but I think you may be saying that yes, it is. Uh, it does belong to to all the public, but all the public should pay an equal share for the management. I agree with that. I, I think it, everyone should be able to enjoy wildlife however they choose. Um, there's some other things in the North American model that, that would kind of fix the whole public, um, even people that don't hunt, get a say in it when, when it comes down to hunting as a, as a way to manage wildlife. But have you, th- have um, you thought about this, Joe? Have you thought about this? Okay, say, you know, a backpack tax is something that gets kicked around a lot, especially in the West. Uh, you know, yep. let's, let's start charging a backpack tax for every person that wants to go hike on this trail. We start charging backpack taxes. What is that going? We cannot keep up with the with the REI crowd. You know, no, and, that, too many and you of make them. a solid point there. Like we have the ability now because we pay for it to have more of a say. Yeah, that that's if that's st- our like our in and and it is a valid point. Like because we pay for it, it's basically like our truck. It's ours. We have first save, you know, and, and that, that is a nice thing for us sportsmen to have. Um, and I, I think a lot of people want to make sure that stays that way too. And mm-hmm. that's what scares me when I hear some of the, the outdoor industry leaders starting to talk about backpack taxes is you let them start pitching in the kitty and, and something that a, a government agency can get their hands on. And our 5% the, of hunters, the population 5%, <laughs> kiss that one goodbye because you're going to be you're going to be managing for backpackers and and photographers not hunters anymore i've seen it i've seen it you know you're you're going to end up seeing the same thing that happens in our federal government there'll be paid lobbyists that are you know it's it's a money game at that point Mm -hmm. um and, and that's a tough nut to crack because when those people wrote that north american model for conservation and it's something that a lot of the agencies in the west use they probably weren't expecting issues like we're having right now. No. And I think no. in their mind, when they said public trust and, and all wildlife is for the public, I think they were, there's a different time in this country when, when we didn't have some of the issues and strife we do now. And, and have they wrote it now, I don't know that that would be in there. And it's interesting to see how that's a lot of the North American model has, has um, been relatable through all these years but there are certain things that through the way society is now 
and, and the way we manage with government and everything now, it, it's some of those points might not be as mm. as well, good I, and and ones we want. A thought comes to mind with me is that now uh, there's a general idea out there that if it's free, it's for me. You know, everything's free. The internet's free. Yep. Okay, this podcast uh, is free. Of, yeah, you know, I mean that's that's a challenge we get, you know, when when airing a podcast, you know, because it is free. Uh mm-hmm. but you know, the hunter has long expected to pay for a license. Uh you know, I pay for a trout stamp, I pay for national forest stamps, I pay, you know, I buy licenses for probably at least a half a dozen states every year. Um and I expect to do that, and and, I've, and my friends do, and we've always accepted that uh, as the way that the uh, game uh, is managed. It's through our funds and through our Pittman-Robertson funds for excise on t- um, firearms and ammunition and all those things. And so I guess I'm hopeful that you know, that will continue and that there might be a pushback from the, if it's free, it's for me crowd against some of these other things. Uh, and they maybe not, maybe they won't see it as a way to get representation and they'll just, you know, say, no, I don't want to pay that tax. I'm going to fight it. And maybe, you know, things won't change. Do you think there's any chance of that happening i think there's a lot of truth to that because there are a lot of people that do backpack and and people that do take photos and and they make money off the resource or whatever that would not pay the tax just because they're going to say well i'm just up here hiking i'm not paying money so Mm -hmm. that game and fish is and the fishing game agencies can manage wildlife I i don't really care and and a lot of those people are you know weekend warriors you know how 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 much do they really care about the species? And and what I see in these grizzly bear meetings is there are people at those meetings voicing their opinion that aren't sportsmen. And so they do have a voice in that capacity. Um, as you can see, so much of a voice and so much money that they were able to sway a court decision, in my opinion. Um, right. And so yeah. there is a voice for them. Um, I actually think we are undervoiced as sportsmen or we're not listened to in the right spaces. Um in certain areas, I don't think as often well, I'll as we just, could be. I'll just throw in a final thought, and then we'll get back to hound stuff. That was that was pretty deep, but you know, we talk about the wildlife model, uh, North American model for wildlife conservation. That thing was written in 1870, and uh, mm-hmm. in 19, 1900, the the demographics of the United States over 70 percent of the population was still agricultural based, so they knew where their meat came from. And mm-hmm. you look at that today, we're under 5% of the the United States population that is agricultural-based. So, you know, it is a it is a different time and it is a different different era that we're living in now where, where people just don't understand what goes on on the ranch or what goes on on the farm. And, and so it's definitely, definitely a cultural problem as well. But Joe, yes. let's get back. Let's get back around to. So you're having a lot of success out there. You're collaring bears. You're you're assisting state agencies that are gladly, uh, willingly accepting your 
whether it be labor or funds that you can raise through the mm-hmm. foundation. What do you tell uh, a, a group of bear hunters back east here? Uh, what do they need need to do to make sure that they have a legitimate voice when when decisions about bear management, bear hunting are being made? What what can you tell them that, that has been successful for you out there? The biggest thing they have to do is organize and, and have a strong couple points that they as a group want to see happen, whether they're not whether they're North Carolina, West Virginia, and, and some strong organizations out there, um, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin. And th- the thing I think is the most crucial part is don't have 20 of the members go to a meeting and all voice a different opinion. Mm. They have to get organized and structured and say, okay, we live in West Virginia and we're noticing this. We want more harvest or we want more chase seasons or we want more whatever. They have to develop a plan and a strategy, and then they have to start going to the state agencies, whether they're season setting meetings or public input meetings, or they're just working closely with, you know, out West here, there's typically one or two people in each region or, or in the state that manage the seasons and they work with biologists. And, you know, those are the people to get in with and visit with and, and sitting down and having one of your members or the president sits down and has a cup of coffee with that guy and, and just get to know him. And then maybe one day you give them a call on the phone and say, hey, I was just kind of curious to how you guys are counting or doing this. Maybe I can jump in. And it's being involved, but it's not – I see this so much out here. It's the fire and brimstone attitude that sportsmen have because we're always on the defensive. We're so afraid we're going to lose this or we're going to lose that that we're – we're guarded, right? So we're always nervous and we don't trust these state agencies sometimes. And it's trying to go a different way. It's, it's being more proactive and trying to, to try and bridge that gap and say, Hey, we understand there's an issue with bears and, and we want our rights to chase or we want our rights to bait. Mm-hmm. But what, what's really going on with you guys? Like what, what are the thought processes there and how can we help maybe, show you why we think this is the way. And, and so it's, it's developing relationships. That's the biggest thing because I've gone to some season setting meetings and I've sat in commission meetings where a commission, a panel is sitting there. They are dictating whether or not you're going to get a season or this or that. They get a vote and 20 guys all from the same, I would say maybe thought of, or, 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 or method of hunting, whether it's baiting or hound hunting or spot and stock will show up and holler and scream and, and bang their hand on the table and, and get frustrated with the commission. Those are volunteer people too. They're not going to be responsive to anything you say when you do that. So it's having a concise, very, um, thought out and, and, you know, researched one voice as a group and you get that, you get that piece done. Then you've just developed all those relationships. So then you move on to the next. And then you just build on that through years. And, and it takes years. It's not nothing you can do in a day. But I, I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen um, and why we've been able to get some things done is because I'm just calling people and saying, hey, think about us when you need some help and, and how can we help and we're here for you. And if you need us to do some PSAs or whatever, we're here to help. And then they're really receptive when it comes time to saying, Hey, Joe, do you think you could get 10-year members to sit on a panel and, and we talk about the Wyoming um, black bear seasons and what maybe they want to change? You know, that's never happened before. 
but we get mm-hmm. that through being present and, and helping and, and being collaborative, not combative. Well, right. Joe, you're absolutely right. And hearing it come from you, uh, definitely uh, will encourage people out there to do that. Chris and I both have a background in that kind of work. It was my Mm -hmm. job for many years, uh, you know, uh, with legislative affairs, with the registries that I worked with. And, uh, And what you're saying is spot on, but it can't be said enough. And to see an organization like you that is having, like yours, that is having success out there, uh, you know, when we started this podcast, uh, Chris, I'm sure will agree with me. Our desire was to bring all houndsmen together under a common cause, and that is to preserve, protect, and promote these sports for future generations. And that includes mm-hmm. conservation. That includes uh, all all of the things that are associated with hunting with hounds. And, you know, when I look at organizations like the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, Michigan Hunting Dog Federation, I served on both of those boards when I was there. Uh, Chris, with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance that he and Jerry Maul founded while uh, he was uh, with the Indiana uh, Department of Natural Resources. Those things, you know, we know what you are saying is true. We know Mm -hmm. it will work, you know. But I think sometimes, uh, you know, people expect us to say these things. And it's so refreshing to hear you saying virtually the same things that we've been trying to say as well and to have a successful organization. And I think you're definitely taking it to the next level but with your proactive programs that you're doing, uh, you know, and, and the way you're reaching out to the community and presenting yourselves as the good guys uh, and, and the champion of bears, not the killer of bears, but the champion of bears. Exactly. And that's I think that's point. what we need to do. And and it, I applaud It's really you. true. With, well, I appreciate it. I think that's most of these foundations and groups started and have the heart and the intent that we do. It's It's just sometimes... I see it so much that we are so, like I said, we're just so defensive and we don't want to lose anything. And, and, and we've been in some pretty strong fights and a lot of it has been with the potential to lose baiting or the potential to lose a chase season. And, and it is tough and it can be frustrating. And the first thing you want to do is scream at someone. But mm-hmm. what, what I've found the best thing for us that's we dealt with this in Idaho a few years ago with a, a bear bait ban in grizzly use area. I didn't chew ass. I didn't call anyone and, and holler. I, I called the commissioners that were in that area and I had hours long conversations with them and just trying to talk to them about what do they understand about bear baiting and what's this and what's this and research and, and, volunteering to come to Idaho and just sit down with them and just talk about it. Just talk, you know, have open dialogue. And, you know, over the course of time, we changed some minds and, and we got that stopped. And and I think that's the best way to go about it. And we all have our things that we're really passionate about. You know, for me, it's bears, but I also am really passionate about, you know, baiting and I want to start hound hunting and I'm passionate about certain things. And so maybe something comes under attack like baiting, and a bunch of other bear hunters don't bait, are they going to come to the table and support it? 
and that's where I find the biggest divide in bear hunters, mm-hmm. especially out west. Mm-hmm. Spot and stock guys look down on guys that bait or hound hunt, or bait hunters and and hound hunters in Idaho are fist fighting on roads, and and I'm just like folks. And so when we go to season setting meetings, and and the guy's gonna lose a, a chase season, and the guy's gonna lose this, you know, everyone's just kind of like ah, and it's it's trying to break that down a little bit and just be like hey i'm out here a hunter you're a hunter we're bear hunters we got to figure out a way that we're not against each other i'll tell you a quick story i just got back from a from a hunt in uh arizona and we were out there of course hound hunting and and stuff like that but we go down we we turned down this road and open access pretty much in arizona and we were on our side by sides and notice this guy walking down the this younger guy walking down the trail in front of us and um we get up next to him and he's carrying a rifle and and you can tell he's a spot and stalk guy and oh yeah stopped and talked to him said hey which you know everything all right you you need you need to ride out you need with this you need that no i'm just i'm just hunting well we went on down the trail and we made a left turn and got up on top of this ridge, and he comes right up there. And we could tell right then that we were going to interfere with his hunt. And um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was subconscious, but it, you've got to be able to look at pe- other people that are in the field. You know, this this guy was was out there on a hunt as much as I was, and he was out there hoofing it. I was riding around in a side-by-side with my hounds, I can find another place to hunt that day and let this guy have his, have his opportunity. And it, it just, it was kind of a harmonious moment, you know, <laughs> where, That's so where, commendable because, well, I don't, don't say that, that it, it was, it was not even my idea. I was hunting with some other guys and, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of a general consensus. It's like, you know, we can't go much farther down this trail anyway, so let's turn around and get out of here. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just, we've got to be more understanding and, and just because it's not the way I do it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And, and we, we need all hands on deck in this fight and we can't afford you know to alienate anybody at this point. What I was really encouraged this year when we, and to a lot of people that don't know, there's an actual intent to stop bear baiting on national forest lands in, in Wyoming and Idaho, which is a right. very, very serious deal. Um, and along, we won't even get into the semantics of it and everything, but they're using the grizzly bear as a way to stop bear baiting. And, and it's basically been told to us that the people that have filed it just don't like bear baiting. And we're, we're not only talking about livelihoods of outfitters and guides, we're talking about how the departments are going to manage a species. You know, there's parts of Idaho, you can kill two bears a year. How are yeah. they going to manage that species without baiting? And so we, we developed a letter um, that we sent to the, the chief of the U S fish and wildlife or the U S forest service. We sent it to the director's office, U S fish and wildlife, sent it to all the commissioners. Well, when I was requesting sign-ons for that letter, I was so pleased at the groups that signed on to that that had no zero stake in the matter um pheasant hunting groups mule deer hunting groups um you know hound hunting organizations they just said if we every one of those groups understood it like i i i understand it and you guys do too they're like if they get this what's next and they were all rallying 
rallying with a bunch of guys that they don't even maybe bait hunt. We had some people that are like, we don't bait hunt, we don't know, but we're not going to let them stop. That's what we need. And it was so cool to send that with 20 signatures of big groups that not even any of them bait. They're not, they don't even care, but they're like, hey, sportsmen with sportsmen, that's the way it should be. And so I think we're getting there, um, but it's a lot of talking, a lot of education, and there are those nuts that you just cannot crack and I've tried right. some of them. Oh, yeah. Well, we had that in Michigan uh, with the Prop D to stop bear hunting with hounds and bait in 1996. It was a referendum issue. Had it not been for the entire hunting community in Michigan, you know, there's uh, 750,000 deer hunters up there. uh, And they understood that this was an anti-hunting issue, a domino among many that would fall, you know, and... uh, and you're what you're, once again, Joe, you're right on. You know, one, I, I'd like to kind of run down a list of things, you know, just some things that uh, we can do to be proactive on this. You know, one of the things that a representative told me one time, it's not nearly as important that you know my name. It's more important that I know your name. Uh, you know, if I run into my representative in the Walmart, he needs to be able to recognize me and I need to be able to have a conversation with him. You know, as much as I would like to, to camp at 9,300 feet in the, in the white mountains of Arizona and stay up there. If I want to continue hunting, I've got to come out of the mountains. I've got to know, I've got to know who my bear biologists are. I've got, he's got to know who I am. He's got to see me and, and my compadres you know, showing up on, on days where, uh, they need a bear fence put up or they need, they need, uh, you know, Indiana has a, a thing called the Hoosier outdoor experience and the Hoosier tree dog Alliance sends people up there to, uh, interact with the public with tree dog breeds. And so that the first time somebody's interaction with a, with a, a hound dogger is not, is not when they're across their fence and and they don't know what's going on. You know, they can put a face with it. So, you know, there's certain things that we've got to do. And as much as we're living in the golden era of bear hunting right now in the East with the populations where they're at, man, the off seasons, we got to do some homework and we've got to start building defenses because it's going to come. It's going to come and it's going to come in a big way. You got some it, thoughts, Joe? You, you hit it right on the head. It, it's an education piece, and and shame on anyone that just is waiting for someone else to save it for them. Uh, I see that so much. Well, you talk to all these people that are so passionate about hunting. They don't even know who a biologist is, what they do. They don't know why the regs are the way they are, and that's, that's very sad to me um, because what they're depending on is the federal and state agencies and sportsmen like us that are involved to take care of it for them. And one day I'm not going to be here and you guys aren't going to be here and, and what's going to happen then. So it's being involved, being educated. Like you said, come out of the mountains for a day or two and do some homework, jump on a computer, learn about it, talk to someone on the phone or just, and some people have a tough time reaching out, but you probably have someone in your organization that doesn't. And so right. that's your point of contact. Yeah, go, these, organ- these, these organizations are so diverse. I mean, we got people that that are sales in sales and, and you know, mm-hmm. they're just all, all sorts of walks of life. And I, and I promise you this, there is a biologist, whether you 
whether you know if there's a bear biologist in your state or not, there is a biologist who has been assigned bears. And what they do is they sit in an office and they read a lot of emails. They field a lot of complaints from different people. And they would love for somebody to walk in their office and say, how can I help you with this problem? Is there anything that my organization can do? They would be thrilled because they all want to be on the ground anyways. Yeah. We did this collar study and I get to work with the, the head bear, black bear biologist for the state of Wyoming. And we gave him quite a bit of dollars to, to put these collars on some bears for some research. And he's like, Oh, it's so nice to get out and do this, you know, and like <laughs> so much of his time is spent dealing with grizzly bears and, and management actions. He's like, I'm out here now getting to put collars on bears and be in the field. Like they love it. And they would be like, what do you have in mind? And you can maybe shoot an idea at them. And I've done this a million times. They're like, that just simply won't work. I'm like, okay, I'll think of something else that we can do. And, you know, it's just that feedback, bouncing back and forth. But once they know you're interested, that's the game changer right there. That's because gonna... if something does come up for bears, they're going to be like, I'm going to call that guy that I'm – he came into my office. I got his card here. I'm going to call him, and we're going to talk, and, and that's that's where you start. Yeah, you get an organization that, that – you know, takes some of their funds and and throws together enough funds to buy twenty bear-proof trash cans and put them in a state state uh, camping area, and you, mm-hmm. you you know things like that. That way, they know that you've got skin in the game and you're willing to to work for the resource and and we're not these bloodthirsty killers. We actually care about and these that's animals. a big thing. That's a big thing too. Not all hunting, but the actual resource. You're yep. doing things for the resource, so you're going to get a seat at the table when it comes time to make some decisions. That's right. That's Absolutely. Joe, I'm going to have to meet this uh, biologist friend of yours. I just attended. I will have to get you and Amber yep. fixed up. She's, okay. she's awesome. I just spoke to her yesterday, as a matter of fact. Definitely. Now, there's a new organization that's formed here over the last year in, in Florida. It's called the American Houndsman Federation. Fellow named okay. Bruce Bruce Conkey, up at Hastings, Florida, up in the Jacksonville, uh, south of Jacksonville. But at any rate, I'll get those guys, uh, uh, Bruce and your friend, hooked up there, and uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, we'll do what we can down here to 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 maybe uh, get some help for her and her efforts. But, uh, I will send Chris an email with all of her contact information right. and we can, we could get that started right now over the phone. We just did that. Good. There you Good. go. <laughs> We're moving <Yep>. forward. <laughs> We're moving right, right along. <laughs> hey, I just, I want to, we're going on over an hour here and, uh, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the bear found Western bear foundation some right. more here, Joe. And I want to, so, you know, we've got chapters of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I've lived there my whole life. I've never seen an elk. So, yeah. So, what's what's the deal? I mean, can can people start chapters for the for the Western Bear Foundation? When I look at REM, yeah. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and the successes they've had, supporting resources. I mean, they're huge now. They're nationwide, and is is there a vehicle in place if somebody wants to uh, expand the Western Bear Foundation east of the Mississippi River? Is 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 there a vehicle for that, or what's what's the story there? Yeah, actually, and I'm glad you mentioned that because my vision, and, and I think 
I, I share this with some people, I think is to have a national organization that is representing bears and bear hunters and looking at every state. And I, I think we can do that one day. Um, as I said, I'm a, I'm a stupid business grad that, that somehow got involved with in nonprofits and, and, <laughs> and conservation. And so my knowledge and I'm, I'll be the first to say, I don't know that I'm the guy that will be able to bring us into that next tier. But what we're trying to do right now is develop those chapters. And I'm, we haven't had a chapter in place. What we've been doing is having like a, a person in each state that kind of just looks out for opportunities and is kind of a go-to for me. But what we just are in the process of finishing the paperwork in the state of Washington for our first chapter, actually. Our first chapter oh, that will be... They will operate kind of under the Western Bear Foundation moniker, but it'll be set up similar to like how the RMEF does their chapters. They'll raise their own money. Their money will stay in that state for projects for them, and and they'll use Western Bear Foundation as an overarching organization, but they'll have their own 501c3 status, and, and they'll have their own board. And so that is being done as we speak right now in Washington. I think by the end of the year, um, potentially early next spring, we'll we'll announce that that is an official 501c3 registered chapter of the Western Bear Foundation, and I'm hoping after that, because it's been kind of we have a guy in Washington that's been saving and has been really good about knowing how to do some of that paperwork, and he's kind of just taking the ball on that and and is getting it done. And so once we kind of have his all his hard work, we'll know how to do it in the other states a little easier. So yeah, definitely, and and reach out to us if if there's I don't care if you're in New Jersey. Oklahoma, Arkansas, wherever, if we can help, we're here to help. Uh, we're called the Western Bear Foundation, but we're, we're here for all bears and all bear hunters. So, Sure. That's where do people where, where do people find you, Joe? Um, tell us, tell place, us where we can know, find uh, you. Westernbearfoundation.org. Um, we're on Facebook and, and Instagram and, you know, all them social media things. On the website, that phone number on there and that email address, that comes right to my phone. So when you call, you call me. You don't call an office. And, and so uh, you're going to get me direct. We're really uh, grassroots. We're, we're really laid back, you know, kind of boots on the ground people. So um, that's how you can get a hold of us. Westernbear.org. Westernbearfoundation.org. Don't leave the foundation out. Westernbearfoundation.org. And then, of course, on all our favorite social media platforms. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Steve, you got any concluding thoughts on this? Well, I, I, for one, I'm going to spread the word in my network of state associations and affiliations. I'll be going up uh, to Michigan uh, this winter for the upper peninsula bear houndsman association meeting joe and nancy hudson i don't know if you've met them joe but no but i've been and i will say that when we've been dealing with this bear bait ban i've received several calls from michigan and wisconsin on how they can help yeah those guys are awesome up there and i'll be up there speaking and i'm going to encourage those groups uh to get in touch with you and over here i'm i'm originally from west virginia and i'm planning a trip up to Virginia to do some bear training here within a few weeks. And uh, I'll try to spread the word out here on the Eastern seaboard, but you're doing a great job. I think this is the kind of thing uh, that all of these groups out East need to kind of come under that umbrella with you and, uh, and develop these chapters as you get them going. And, uh, you know, my dad, 
everything that I owe in the hound world, I know about the hound world, the job that I had for many years and all I owe to my dad. And he was the most dedicated bear hunter I have ever met. He cared nothing about killing a bear, although he did kill a few in his lifetime. He was a hound hunter. He loved the bear resource. He served as the president of the West Virginia Bear Hunters Association. He worked hard to keep them from clear-cutting the national forest to take away the mass crop from the bear. He he was just a, a, a bear hunter to the bone, and in his honor, I want to do all I can uh, as well for a great, great game animal. I really appreciate what you're doing, Joe, and what your foundation is doing. And if we can help you in any way on this podcast, anytime you've got any news, pass it along to us. We'll be glad to to, uh, include it in a podcast, and we hope you'll come back. Oh, I will come back anytime, and I hope to one day meet you guys in person. Uh, I know uh, I've yet to to be behind some hounds on a bear hunt, so it's it's definitely up on top of my list. I've done every other method but that, so maybe we can, we can get arrange together one that. day and do that. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Come out east or something, or we can do it out here. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm going to put in free. Well, I'm not. Uh, we may be bear hunting in Idaho. Or I can get you hooked up with somebody that will be bear hunting in Idaho, Joe. You just say the word. But, Joe, yep. um, you got any concluding thoughts on anything you want to throw in there before, before no, I wrap I want to thank you guys for being proactive and, and, and trying to be a good voice for, for houndsmen. And, and not only houndsmen, but just for sportsmen in general. There's not a lot of podcasts out there that are that are geared towards doing what you guys are doing a lot of them are gripping grin so I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and and, and thanks for your support over the years um it, it's it's been awesome that that uh groups from so far away all, all have the same kind of thing in mind and and it's and it relies on our, our bears and 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 our, our way of life and that's hunting so thank you guys yeah well i'll just wrap it up and give steve the final word here but you know there's no doubt that that houndsmen are definitely under fire across all across the United States, and and uh, just that phone call, that thing that that email that you can send to a biologist to tell them that you're available to help in in their fight, in their they really do want to do the best thing for the for the resource, and they get frustrated just like everybody else. I know biologists over the years, uh, you know, they spend so much time on the phone talking to aggravated landowners and and dealing with bureaucracy that they don't get to do the job that they want to do. And just as Joe has already laid out there, they want to be in the field. So if you can if you can show them how you can use your hounds to help them in research and to come up with a bear management plan. Man, you need to be sitting down with your membership and coming up with a proposal to put out there to to your fish and wildlife agencies to to help get that done. And and uh, Joe, I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. And and I didn't even hesitate when when I saw uh, the Western Bear Foundation and getting a hold of Steve and saying, "Hey, this is a group we need to we need to support. These guys are doing some some good work in the right way. They're building credits with." Uh, with their fish and wildlife agencies to make sure that sportsmen have a voice in those commission hearings. So Joe, congratulations to you. I, I wish you all the best and, and we definitely are going to have to get together and have you back on the podcast. Maybe we'll sit down live for the next one. That'd be great. 
That'd be great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. We need to go to Cody, Steve. Oh, absolutely. There you go. I'm ready. Come on to Cody. Hey, you know what? I need, <laughs> there, there's a, there is a cutthroat trout out there that I need to catch. What's <laughs> one, Snake River or Yellowstone? Hey. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not choosy. We can You're get carrying... three of them out of the way right outside of Cody. Hey, you so. know what? I've never <laughs> caught a cutthroat. I'll confess. Oh, I've come out caught... at the end of July next year. Uh, Browns, brookies, and rainbows. Mm, yeah, they're. I've done all those, but I've never caught a cutthroat. I need You're carrying bear spray this time. <laughs> yeah, well, if you come with me, you're carrying bear spray. We'll be yes. in Grizzlyville. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plan to me, my friend. Awesome. <laughs> you guys are welcome anytime. All right. Yep. We'll have Great. to make a plan of that. Steve, you always have the final word unless I'm recording a podcast without you. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope we don't do too many of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, we have a bear hunting friend out in West Virginia. He's one of the hardest hunters I've ever seen. This guy, I mean, he'll go in the woods. A, a guy once told me uh, that he went hunting for a week with uh, with him, and uh, we asked him, where did you stay? And he said, well, we had a camper, but we never did stay in it. This guy will <laughs> sleep out on the, on the ground with the dogs. And one time uh, my dad relayed this uh, – statement to me as they were attempting to start the track of a bear that had been killing sheep and they turned the dogs loose and part of the pack went one way and this fella's dog went the other way and they said hey what's your dog doing john he said you guys follow your dogs and i'll follow mine and i've ended this podcast with that saying so many times chris you follow your hound and i'll follow mine